Hello. Oh, Skype is weird oh. now. <clears throat> I the Skype Skype was it's problematic today. Uh, you know, there's a there's a thing <clears throat> that says that uh, you know the the first rule of podcasting is never talk about Skype on podcasts. But right, right. Uh, well, one of the things I uh, now uh, I got more I got more stuff for you now. Where's my where's my call recorder? Why doesn't it seem to be appearing anywhere here? I don't know. I'm recording, so. Okay, as long as you're recording, you have to. This is yours. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to talk about Skype on podcasting uh, well, because well, a couple, a couple, a couple of uh, podcasts I listen to that are are the ones that I learned about the rule from also talked about Skype on podcasting. So I think we're, uh, we're good to go. I've got. I, we're, uh, so here's Skype started this morning and then I said that I needed an, a, a very important uh, update from uh, call recorder. So I, I did my very important update and then Skype looks all, all new. And then, then I was here waiting for you. And, uh, and I saw you, you just went from uh, red to green mm-hmm. indicating that you you're here and I clicked and I clicked and I clicked and I couldn't do anything and I couldn't move. My Skype window froze. Um, That's not good. It shouldn't do no, that. No, it, it shouldn't. But but also I'm more distressed that I installed this very important update. And <laughs> uh, and it appears that the call recorder doesn't even – it doesn't even exist in Skype. Just anymore. to be clear, Ben, was it a very important update? That's what it said. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got the same message. It's a and, very important update, and I, and I also uh, did my very important update to uh, call recorder, oh. and everything's fine. But but it did say it did say I'm finished. Would you like me to relaunch Skype for you? And I said sure. And then it proceeded to relaunch uh, the old version of Skype, which then didn't <laughs> didn't work. It crashed. So which and that's a little bit on me. I need to go get the old version of Skype off of my computer because apparently I'm just using the new version now. Um, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Uh. Well, I found it. Call recorder was hiding behind ah. my alerts. Oh, and then the other thing is, like you were, then you called me, and um, for some reason, and this is good, I think, uh, is that um, I have my speakers muted, and that means that all of the sounds from Skype are also muted, including um, you calling the, the calling sound, right? Uh, but but I could I could see you, um, and I could click on the right thing, and apparently now we're talking. But um, yeah, actually, there was a um, there was a big long a big long thing at the latest uh, Roderick. Um, uh, where John complains about the Skype, the, 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 the sound of the ringing Skype telephone now. Have you heard the new yes. ringing? Yeah. I, I just experienced it. I yeah. hadn't, uh, I, I had not heard it until I listened just now. Uh, but I'd heard him talk about it on, uh, uh-huh. Roderick on the line and how there's like a, a, a something's missing in the loop. It just doesn't, <laughs> it's not a complete beat. Also. Uh. On on the most that same episode of Roderick on the line, uh, do check it out, everyone who listens to us. You probably would enjoy that show as well. Uh, there was a uh, four or five minute uh, uh, recording of uh, John talking on the phone to his mechanic, but just just John's side of things, uh, right. which I thought was was an awesome part of the show. Yeah, I it's kind of a fair. Bob Newhart esque, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, yeah. uh, callback there. Are you, are you familiar with uh, with that? I, I'm I'm familiar with it in in the sense that I've uh, I, I've seen the seen the bit uh, on uh, some you know uh, comedy highlight shows. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a it's uh, it's a pretty good bit. Which actually which brings me into my first bit of popular culture. 
Oh. Um, so I I don't know. Like you, because because you're a nerd and you order things from Amazon, you probably have Amazon Prime, right? Oh yes. Oh, I've got Amazon Prime. And here's the thing. I, I know I've known for a long time that Amazon Prime comes with original content, original video content. Yeah. And and this is another thing that uh, I've speaking of Roderick uh, I've, that I've heard uh, the other person on that show um, I forget his name um, Marlon <laughs> anyway Marlon something um, he's always he's always talking about this uh, show he's so he's a huge fan of Gilmore Girls uh, which is uh, Amy Sherman Palladino uh, written show. And there's a new show on uh, on Amazon Prime original content, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh and, yeah, right. And it is so good, Ben. We we binge watched the first season. Um, it's uh, it's not a ton of episodes. It's uh, it's uh, eight episodes, and it's really good, uh, really really good. But um, let's just and I don't want to do I don't want to reveal any spoilers. But let's just say in the first episode, it is it, it is so it's about. Um, a Jewish woman in, in the Upper West Side of New York in the late 1950s, and there's a scene where a comic does a bit in a comedy club, and it turns out he's ripping off uh, Bob Newhart uh, talking uh, talking on the telephone, uh, and it's actually a very important uh, plot point. Um, so I will uh, I will I will not spoil it further. If you ha- if you have Amazon Prime and you have not watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I highly recommend it. Um, if you and if you are especially a fan of um, uh, Gilmore Girls or Bunheads or anything else that Amy Sherman Palladino has done, um, it's really it's really really good. And if you if you if you know Gilmore Girls, and this is a little tidbit um, that my wife shared with me, the the uh, the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the lead character, makes friends with a woman um, that works at a comedy club. And that woman, the actress, was actually the actress that was originally cast to play Suki in Gilmore Girls. But then uh, later, when after they w- they shot the pilot, um, and then she was busy doing something else, or and they, or they went with a different choice, and then uh, they ended up casting uh, what's her name, uh, who's who's now super famous, who was Suki in Gilmore Girls, um, Miss, uh, Mrs. Gilmore. <laughs> you, you haven't watched Gilmore Girls. I don't know. I, I know. This is my, the extent of uh, my knowledge of Gil- oh. Gilmore Girls. Oh. I know that Gilmore Girls is uh, a a program uh, on, on the uh, used yes. on the television. Yeah. Yes. Um, who's the Who's the the, the uh, famous comedic actress? She's been in a lot of things lately. Uh, heavy set um, does a lot of comic stuff. Uh, uh, Amy Schumer. No. No. Uh, no. Rebel Rebel Wilson. No. I don't know. I, all right. Well, hold on. Is she on Gilmore Girl? Girl? She, yeah, she's Suki on Gilmore Girls. Oh, ben, my God. Um, How do you spell that? Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. Oh, you know Melissa McCarthy. I know. I know. I know of her. She does. Yeah. Uh, she. Uh, she used to be Sean Spicer. You yes, might know her. Yes. Yeah. Sean, you may know her as Sean Spicer. Also used to be Suki on Gilmore Girls. So well, anyway. Suki St. James. <clears throat> That's what, it. Uh, well, now Suki, I'm. Uh, what is uh, what's Suki uh, short for? Uh, you know, Suki in, in my family means uh, it's a, it's a pacifier. That's what you call that's what you call a pacifier for a mate. Ah, how about that? Is that a Canadian thing? I don't know. I it's, think you're thinking of a toque. I think. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, confusing. A toque in North Carolina is called a toboggan, which uh-huh. is not something you ride on. I I don't know. Um, yeah. So so I don't I don't know I don't know where the Suki thing came from. 
All right, but anyway, uh, b- back to uh, back to pop oh. culture. Um, uh, 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 marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel, highly recommended. Oh, it's also got uh, Tony Shalhoub, um, who you may know from the Monk television program. Um, and, wings. And, wings. and wings, and wings. <laughs> yes. Oh, deep deep catalog. Oh yeah, deep catalog. So uh, anyway, so um, Suki is a variant on the name <laughs> Susan or Susanna. <laughs> From the Hebrew Shoshana, meaning you know, Rose or Lily. You, you know, another famous uh, trope on on podcast is two white guys reading from the internet, <laughs> which which I have which I've also heard cautioned against. Which I've also heard that uh, the the podcast that I learned that rule from bro- broke that rule recently. So there you go. Well, it's hard to uh, it's hard to do this in any other way, right? Um, we have <laughs> we have the internet in front of us, and uh, and you're throwing things at me like uh, Suki that I've got to I got to figure out who this is. I uh, anyway, I know about Melissa McCarthy, and so she is in Gilmore Girls, which is uh, some uh, something that's available on the internet that uh, that people on other podcasts watch. <laughs> and also, <laughs> before we completely close the. Uh, Amazon Prime video streaming uh, chapter of this of this podcast. Um, I do also want to mention another um, another thing that we recently watched on Amazon, uh, which again it may or may not be your cup of tea, but I I enjoyed it and and Kristen endured it, and that is um, um, a six part episode, a six part uh, series, um, uh, or a, I don't know what you call it. Uh, it's not it's not really a movie documentary. Anyway, really very long thing. Um, uh, long strange trip, uh, which is the oh, history, yeah. history of the great. Led, which was really good. I mean, again, six uh, six episodes, really good. I knew, I know a lot about the Grateful Dead. Kristen does not know nearly as much, but I I just I really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was fun to. I mean, again, like I knew a lot of the stories, uh, I knew a lot of the background, but but it was also it was very good. And it uh, yeah, it made me made me a little bit sad uh, that Jerry Garcia is dead, but he's well, been, he's been dead for a long time. It's not yeah, not breaking news. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, so that, um, that series is in my Amazon prime ah, watch bucket. Good. I have, I've not yet. I, um, this, this time of year, uh, I, is, I don't know, it, is more is the time of year where I tend to watch more documentaries or something, um, because they're easier to pick up and, and shut down than a, you know, than a show where, you know, I've got an hour documentary. I watch 15 minutes of it and I come back to it. It's, you know, you don't lose the, the stream of there's of the plot. Um, and recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I watched a, a excellent, uh, documentary on the Foo Fighters on, on Netflix. So, so check that out. I don't know what it's called, but I will find it quick back and forth. Um, the history of the Foo Fighters. Um, so if you, even, even if you don't like, um, the Foo Fighters. It's a really interesting uh, uh, documentary. I also recently watched an HBO documentary uh, called "The Montage of Heck" about the history of uh, Kurt Cobain. So, I'm in my my Seattle uh, rock uh, knowledge is uh, is rounding out. Um, well, I, I, that reminds me actually of uh, I think it was a comment from our friend on the internet uh, in the fade, um, Michelle. From oh, yeah. Long Island, who said something like, um, "I love the F- Foo Fighters' first album. I love their second album. Um, I really love Dave Grohl. Uh, I love the idea that the Foo Fighters exist, um, but they really don't exist for me after the first two albums." Yeah, <laughs> or something, something to that effect. I mean, she said it much better, but but I, well, I very much, I, 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 I sort of agree with that. Uh, I'm yeah. There's some some good uh, later stuff, uh, and what I. 
we we've talked a, a little bit about my I've ever mentioned on this podcast that I have kids. Uh, I think so. <laughs> we, talk, we talked about my kids a little bit. And one of the things that I've um, I've discovered recently uh, with them, I, I mean, not you know, over the last few months, I've, I've exposed them to lots of different you discovered over the last few months. You have kids that I, that I have kids. Yeah. And then funny enough, they're great kids. <laughs> How about um, I hear yeah, one they, wants to wear a tuxedo all the time now. What one wants to wear a tuxedo is very formal. Um, they, uh, with with us uh, introducing uh, Alexa into our home uh, through uh, a, a couple of uh, Amazon Echo dots and, and a couple of Echoes, um, and me uh, opening up my iTunes music and iTunes match on their iPads, so they now have like unlimited musical things that they can listen to. And they're, they're discovering stuff. Um, tur- turns out Jack has stumbled upon Foo Fighters and is really, really into them and listen, like likes all their B sides and not hits. And, you know, we'll get in the car and he'll, he'll, uh, ask me to play some obscure Foo Fighters song. And I'm like, how did you know this? And he's like, I just found it on my iPad. Um, and, uh, he's also, um, without really any specific prodding other than a few songs that, that I, uh, that I play with, played for him when we're, when we're driving or, or at home, he's also gravitated towards a, a whole bunch of Neil Young. And, uh, yesterday as I, after, um, I picked him up from school and we were driving home, he asked me to play ne- crime in the city, like a Neil Young song from, uh, you know, a, a, a while back. Uh, but, but not one of the standards. And, uh, and so, and then we listened to it once and he's like, I, I want to listen to that again. So he's, I, I like that they are discovering stuff without me showing it to them. And, and now, you know, probably all of the explicit lyrics songs that I have on my, uh, in my iTunes, uh, catalog is, is going to get them and me in trouble at school. Uh, but it's, it's cool that they're like trying to discover, you know, new music and, and they're finding stuff that I didn't even know about with, uh, that I had just, I'm, I'm excited about that. That, that is very cool. Um, as, as you may also know, um, from listening to this podcast, I also have kids, um, and, uh, but mine are grown and have discovered their own long since been discovering their own music, but I have to share one, uh, Alexa story. My son also has, um, one of those devices and apologies for if anybody just got triggered uh, their devices triggered by me saying that word. Um, That's why I uh, said it too. (laughs) (laughs) My son, that, that relates to the story. So my son has reconfigured his. So it responds to the word computer, um, uh, so that he can sound like he's in star Trek. And, 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 and it's very, very funny because when he now, um, so he, he will, he will watch, uh, a variety of Star Trek episodes on, on a variety of sources, and he says uh, Deep Space Nine is actually the worst one for triggering his his device um, uh, because they apparently say computer a lot, and uh, it's uh, anyway it's uh, uh, he, he and sometimes and sometimes interesting things happen uh, when when uh, he's watching Star Trek and his uh, his Amazon device is listening in the background. So yeah, awesome. that's that's awesome. my story. That's a good so story. I did have a very good ending. <laughs> uh, I, uh, oh, oh, before we move off Amazon prime, Mm. um, I mentioned this back in episode 134. And now that you have access to Amazon prime, uh, video, uh, you need to go watch one Mississippi. That's your homework. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned this before. Yep. It is. And it's short. It is. I think, I think you'll enjoy it. 
Um, it's, it's definitely become one of our favorite shows. Um, so yeah, go, yeah, go check. I, we, 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 we've talked about this. I, uh, I do, I, I do know of Tignataro, um, because of, uh, she sort of travels in those same, um, comedic circles as, uh, uh Jordan and Jesse and, um, uh, um, uh, ugh, I'm blanking on the thing, the the thing where you go to the thing and see the people, people at the thing, the yeah. funny things. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. that that's the one. Um. Anyway, yeah. So it's uh. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder. And now, <clears throat> well, and it, actually, we've had Amazon Prime Video forever. Right. But until um, I I kind of got the impetus to watch uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I didn't have any like reason to put the app on my Apple TV. And then it's like, oh, well, I put the app on my Apple TV and oh, look, there's all these things we could watch. So I will uh, I will mention this um, now that we finished Amazing Mrs. Maisel. We're probably looking for something else. And so I think I can probably convince my wife uh, to watch one Mississippi. So, yep. Well, and even if, you know, four weeks or, or eight you know, eight months ago, if you wanted to watch it on your Apple TV, there was no app. Uh, the Amazon uh, Prime Video oh. app is is just oh, come that's out right. in the last three I, weeks or something. I, yeah. I did know that. That was also that was also another thing, right? And that was uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, a discussion in the Apple nerd community whose podcasts I listened to about why it wasn't there or you know was that what was going on with that? And it, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. I mean, because Apple in a way, Apple and uh, Amazon are kind of com- competitors, um, but it's good. It's good that I can get um, Amazon, Amazon's app on my on my Apple TV. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, good, good stuff. Uh, I just to I know the the listeners tune in to hear about my um, my hockey team and my mm-hmm. updates. Mm-hmm. So it's this is the last one of the season. Hockey update. Okay. Hockey update. Um, uh, Gunga Lagunga, not to be confused with Gunga Galunga. Uh, it's a different hockey team, but my team Gunga Lagunga played last night, uh, uh, nine, nine 20, uh, in, in wake forest, uh, in the finals versus Piper's tavern. And it was Don, it was a goalie battle. Uh, we lost two, mm. one, all three of the goals were scored in the first six or eight minutes uh, of the game. And then it became a, a defensive shutdown and we just couldn't, uh, as they say in hockey, we couldn't pull the trigger. Oh, uh, and, uh, so we, we walk away, uh, uh, finalists, uh, you know, first runner up, but, but not champions of the adult C intermediate C league in uh, wake forest, North Carolina. So, wow. uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, do a lot of the off, off, uh, season training starting today, uh, getting, <laughs> pro- getting ready for next season, which begins on uh, January third. So whoa, so. whoa, that's a, that's very quick. That's you don't get much of a break there. No, you know <laughs> this is the, it's a grind. This uh, you know playing playing these in these hockey leagues. It's it's a grind. Yeah, we play all year round. We th- there's three seasons a year, so we have three chances at the at the fi- at you know the championship and uh, in the. Oh, eight years or nine years I've been playing here. I guess eight and a, eight years or so. Uh, I've won one total championship uh, and have played in the finals uh, seven or eight times. But uh, yep, we just just can't get can't get over that hump. But is it is it like the typical um, uh, millennial thing? Does everybody get a trophy? Does everybody get no. to be in the finals? Oh no no oh, no! Well, so that's a good thing, Ben. It's it uh, you made it to the finals most of the time. That's a good thing. It it is uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice well, to win, but it's okay. Nice yeah, it, and it, no, not everyone gets a uh, gets a trophy. Um, 
In fact, the, we, there are three three options uh, that when you win the league for recognition. Uh, number one, uh, you can get uh, jerseys that are uh, somewhat uh, useless because they are all the same color and they don't have numbers on them. Um, but do so, they say champions? <laughs> no, they they say like polar ice house. And I think that the, the organization that owns the, the arena maybe purchased, um, you know, 15,000 ah, at one point. Got it. Yep. Trying to get rid of, trying them. To get rid of them. Yep. Yeah. So we, so you get a, a team set of jerseys that you can never wear to a game, uh, cause they don't have numbers and, <laughs> uh, or, um, you can get uh, t-shirts that have your, your name on it and the year that you won. Or oh, but you could, couldn't you couldn't sorry let's go back couldn't you put your name on or couldn't you put a number on that jersey like oh sure okay. sure but 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 I it would um, the cost of putting the number on the jersey I could just buy a jersey with the number on it already but uh, it wouldn't be one of these it's true special award winning <laughs> limited edition jerseys it's true it a much higher quality jersey uh, <laughs> that would be in the color that we chose oh uh, all right with all our right. own well, you gotta throw quality into it. I'm going, yes, yes, I will. Uh, so, or you can get this t-shirt with your, your name and the year that you want on it, or which has been our team's preference, a banner that goes up in the arena. Nice. Um, yeah. And the banner, like no one has ever chosen, chosen the banner. Oh uh, yeah. Because what? it's such a, well, so, it, and this is, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's a, um, if it's a hockey thing or a sports thing, like the banners over the top, like in your face, like douchey, oh. like it's just, yeah. So we've decided that we would, we would do that. Like that's, that's who we want to be. And we would uh, orchestrate a banner raising ceremony the next season when we played the team that we beat, um, like just to, to be all, all you know, full of class. Uh, but we've uh, the year that we won, the league gave us a dead deadline said, just let us know by Friday, what you guys want these t-shirts, the jerseys or the banner. And so Thursday morning, our captain emails the league and says, uh, we've decided we want the banner. Um, you know, let us know what, when, when it goes up, how it works. And then the email that he got back was, Oh, uh, we figured you guys just wanted the t-shirts. So we've already ordered them. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, met their great. deadline. Yeah. And, <clears throat> You don't have a banner, so. Well, you know, it's it's funny you should mention banners because I so as a kid uh, growing up in Ithaca, we went to a lot of hockey games in in Liner Rink, which is where which is where Cornell plays, and I will always have memories. I still have memories to this day um, of all of the banners in Liner Rink, and to me, that yeah. just that banners that e- ba- banners equals equals hockey. You know, it's legacy, right? Yeah, it's like it's it what you do there. when you have hockey is you have banners. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so for kids hockey banners are the way to go. So our, uh, okay. uh team, um, every tournament they play, there's a, you know, the winner gets a banner and then you bring it back to your home <laughs> arena and then you, you know, everyone, all the kids sign it. And so we just wanted to have that experience yeah, why not? As, as adults. So, why not? um, so anyway, yeah, uh, uh, retired, no, no skating, uh, or no, no meaningful hockey for me until first week of January, but I will be playing, uh, just, uh, some, some pickup and, uh, a little bit of hockey over the, in the, in the next week or so myself. But anyway, there's, we, you a, know, uh, we could probably make a website that says, um, is, is Ben, um, uh, playing hockey and, and, and then, and when you ever, whenever you reload the website, it just says, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I will be, I will not be playing hockey myself tonight, but I will be coaching hockey. Well, is, is, is Ben, it's been on the is, ice. Is Ben, yeah, it's been, it's been on or near the ice. Yeah. 
Uh, the answer is most likely. Most yes. likely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, food safety, food safety talk. Um, I, I've got a, we, we, you and I have had a, a week of throwing notes and, and stuff into our folder. There's a lot of good stuff to, um, to talk about. Yeah. But let, let's start with listener feedback because actually this is the, the true value of this show is that you can, you can ask us stuff and we might know the answer, but if we don't, I guarantee that there's somebody in our audience that, that does. Um, and so, uh, this, and so this is from, um, uh, listener Ray Campa. So thanks Ray for this. Um, he says, pre, please share, uh, he says you can share all details freely. So Ray, that includes your name. Sorry, sorry if you didn't want your name revealed. Because um, I just listened to Food Safety Talk 141 today and can relate to the local sanitarian who was involved in a multi-agency outbreak investigation. In regards to the question on training, I would recommend the just-in-time training for foodborne illness environmental risk assessments from Colorado IFSCE. It is a quick, basic refresher training for inspectors involved in investigations. And there's a link which we will link to in show notes. Um, and he says another good resource would be the CDC e-learning course on environmental assessment of foodborne illness outbreak, or outbreaks, that probably should be, uh, which provides sample questions and resources to use during field interviews. The course does take six to eight hours to complete, but would recommend being part of a training cu- curriculum uh, for all food retail program inspectors. And so, Ray, thank you so much for that. That's, um, that's awesome. Uh, really appreciate the, uh, the, the feedback. Absolutely. I, uh, we'll, we'll link to it. I had trouble accessing the, ah, the link. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to paste them now. Oh, I'm getting a 404. Yeah. But, um, Ray also mentions this, uh, or the, the, the CDC one, um, it does, does work for me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we got to, yeah. So we'll, we'll work on tracking down that, um, that, um, uh, foodborne illness, environmental risk assessments, uh, Colorado thing. Um, we'll work on that, but, uh, yeah, the, the link uh, looks like we've got a little bit of a problem with the link, but we'll, we'll keep working on it. <laughs> yes. Um, other, I, I guess there's, uh, there's a couple of things, maybe not listener feedback, but folks have reached out to us, uh, via the, via the Twitter, which is another way, uh, you can get in contact, uh, with us and get your stuff onto the show. And, um, good friend of the show, um, and a contributor. And we've name checked her a bunch of times and we know her in, in real life. Um, neuro nerd, uh, Veronica Bryant, uh, asked us about to comment a little bit on a recall, uh, that was posted yesterday, um, for Listeria and apples. And so, uh, recall notices, uh, Aldi, uh, recalls some apples due to possible Listeria contamination, and uh, uh, the, it's a voluntary recall for some of their apples, and they're all from uh, one uh, company, or the apples came from one uh, one company, Jack Brown Produce. Uh, they were recalling Gala, Fuji, Honeycrisp, and Golden Delicious apples because of listeria concerns. And um, there was a, uh, a, a, a what I'm reading here from what it says in the recall notice, the recall came after one of Jack Brown's produce suppliers, Nyblad Orchards notified the business of the affected products. It probably means that one of Nyblad Orchards, other customers did some, or, or regulatory group did some sampling and found a listeria positive uh, on those apples and then recalled them. And so, um, the, you know, as 
as it pops up in some of these uh, recall notices to date, no illnesses related to these products have been reported. Um, so we got a question of what, what do you guys think? What do the, the nerds think? And I, there, there are two things uh, from this one. I don't really think that this is surprising. And you mentioned this in, in your tweet. If we look for listeria and fresh produce, I think we're going to find it. Yeah. And that, it, that includes apples. And guess what? Apples are because of the caramel apple outbreak. Um, the apples are on the radar now, right? As, yep. as would be any fresh produce. It is going to come up from time to time. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so what about the public health risk, Don? <clears throat> I'm going to keep, keep eating apples. Um, I suppose if you were a pregnant woman, you might want to think about fresh produce as a choice generally. But I, uh, I, as I tell people all the time, Ben, we all of us probably eat listeria every day, right? It's out there. It's in the food supply. Um, listeria... As much as my friends at FDA would disagree with me, I believe listeria is a high-dose pathogen. If you look at the dose-response curve for listeria, even for immunocompromised people, high you need high doses of listeria to make people sick. Apples are typically not going to have high doses. Now, if you take that apple and you put a little bit of moisture in there and you put a little bit of caramel and you'd stab a stick into it, um, you might make an environment where you could take low levels of listeria and turn those into high levels, which would result in in illness. But um, fresh, intact, non-punctured apples, um, a low-risk food uh, for, for listeria, in my opinion. Agreed. I so one of the pictures, and I can't find it here. Um, one of the, the links that I clicked on, and it might have actually been the one that that Nora Nerd herself uh, tagged us in, had a picture of wrapped apples, not not bagged apples, but each apple, like you would see in um, in Europe, really commonly, each apple was wrapped in its own cellophane. Um, you know, packaging. I, I, I wonder if, if that, you know, if that is a, it provides a different risk profile compared to, you know, a bunch of bagged apples or apples that aren't bagged and that are sitting at retail open that, you know, come out of a box uh, that are, that are then put on display. And the, the reason why I asked that is goes back to that caramel apple situation. I wonder if there's, um, if, if you end up with an extra little bit of humidity in that, in between, in that interface between the, the cellophane and, and the apple skin itself. I don't know if you what do you what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, I'm just trying to to find the link that um, Nora Nerd sent to us. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we're doing some work. We've been doing a lot of work recently on fresh produce and relative humidity. And so this is something that is of great current scientific interest to me. And um, Ben, it turns out humidity makes a huge difference in terms of path- pathogen survival. Um, and if you get a moist enough environment and there is some sort of a food source there, you in fact are going to get growth. And so, yeah, I, I don't think, I understand why an operation might want to wrap their apples in cellophane. I don't understand why you would wrap <clears throat> bananas in cellophane 
And you and I and you and I have had a, hu- a humorous exchange uh, uh, some time ago via text message about bananas in in airport uh, lounges wrapped in cellophane, um, which is a silly idea. A banana actually has a natural wrapping uh, right on it. It's it's an actual um, banana peel. Um, you yeah. don't you don't you don't have that with. And I've got I've got look right here, Ben. Can you see this? This is I've got a banana right here. I'm about to eat my. Is banana. it wrapped? It's not. Well, it's wrapped in its natural bio. Degradable peel, but other than that, no. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think. I understand why you want to do it. I don't think wrapping apples in cellophane is a best practice. Number one, it's wasteful because of the cellophane, and number two, you, you do have a possibility of creating a higher moisture environment. I think the risk is at the. I think it, I don't. I mean, I think so. The, it, the the issue with caramel apples is that the apples were pierced, and because the apples were pierced, you got the exposure of the apple tissue, and you got growth. I suppose if you had a wound on the apple, and you had listeria in the wound, and then you did a a, a cellophane or a, a plastic overwrap, that that might increase the risk. Um, I don't. If the apple is intact and not wounded, I don't think that there's much of an increase in risk. You may you may see better uh, for sure. Our, our data say that you have better survival um, if you have high humidity, right? Uh, low, low humidity organisms dry out and they and they die or they become inactive. Um, but I don't think um, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a best practice. But I don't think it has much effect on the risk. I guess is what my bottom line would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Just kind of wonder, you know, wondering about that as as we maybe see the increase of this this wrapping. I just I just texted you a picture mm-hmm. of it. It actually was in the note that we had, mm-hmm. um, it, but it's not resolving in all the uh, versions of the uh, PDF that I opened. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of a uh, the. The more we see packaging, and the more that we think about the impacts, I wonder um, what that what that means microbiologically uh, going forward. Um, staying with listeria, uh, we 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 you know sometimes you and I get information that that we we can talk about, but we can't say who who gave it to us, and this is one of those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, there the. Uh, Listeria in South Africa um, situation uh, situation is not. Uh, let me let me. That's not even doing it justice. Massive, massive outbreak with um, you know sixty six uh, deaths uh, at this point is um, you know really quite quite staggering. And uh, one of the things that that came across our email in the last. Uh, a couple of days is is just the sheer number of individuals um, with HIV who have have died mm. uh, in, in this in this outbreak, and so um, we'll give you the 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 information here that forty six percent of the one hundred and thirty one people um, who are affected by this illness or are part of this outbreak have have died, and so. 131 individuals out of, um, you know, somewhere around, uh, I think it's like 700, um, 600, yeah, 60 deaths and 647 cases are, um, are HIV, HIV positive. And so the, the part that where my mind went to, and what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit was just getting a sense of, the population in South Africa and the rate of 
um, HIV compared to the rate of HIV here in the U.S. And this outbreak, to me, I mean, I think that uh, like. I think this starts to to tell us a little bit more about the outbreak. And and here we go. So um, uh, 18.5% of adults in uh, in South Africa are, uh, according to – where is it here? According to Wikipedia, uh, uh, have – are HIV positive. Like that's a staggering number, right? Huge. Um, Compared to 0.3%. Uh, of individuals in the U.S. And so we we know uh, from lots and lots of previous work on foodborne pathogens and listeria, especially HIV and listeria are just a, a deadly mix. Um, and and so I, I wonder if we're not seeing – we're seeing obviously a massive, massive outbreak, but if the same rate of exposure and prevalence – happened in the U.S. on whatever the food is, um, how much lower, uh, how, how many fewer cases we would have um, here. Right. And so let me let me do some envelope risk assessment here, back of the envelope risk assessment. <clears throat> Let's thank you. Ass- thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's assume – Let's assume that um, uh, listeria is uh, 100 times more dangerous or the infectious dose is 100 times lower, two orders of magnitude lower for somebody who's immunocompromised. I'm just making that number up. I don't know if it's true. We can plug in different numbers and see where we get where it gets us. If you say that, let's again, let's let's make the math easy. Let's say the, the incidence is what do you say the incidence of um, HIV was in the United States? Uh, point. Uh, 0.3%. All right. So let's, let's, for the sake of discussion, say it's 0.1%. And then let's say that the, the incidence in uh, South Africa is 10%, right? So two orders of magnitude different. So yep. now we've got um, uh, two orders of magnitude more people ex- potentially exposed to a, a risk that is two orders of magnitude higher. Um, uh, so I would say that that's going to give you, again, assuming some things about the dose response curve, it would be if we had the same exposure in the United States, we would have an outbreak that would be a hundred times smaller, right? Um, so we would still have an outbreak, but it would be a hundred times smaller. So instead of uh, instead of dozens of people dead, we might have one dead. Instead of hundreds of people sick, we might have dozens of people sick. So it it, it really it really matters, right? That 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 where you are on the dose response curve really matters. I, you still you still need um, exposure, right? So there still needs to have been something that's gone wrong in the food supply. But I would say this is as much a story about rampant HIV in South Africa right. as, as yeah. it is about listeria, right? It's not a, it's, it's, you know, listeria is just going to do what listeria is going to do. It's, it's because of that unresolved public health problem that it's just so much worse. I, absolutely. And, um, I, you know, I know there, we have some friends that were just in South Africa as part of a food safety conference there. And I wrote, um, about, this uh, this outbreak earlier this week, um, and mainly just a, a report that I saw about calls from consumer groups and the public in South Africa to start at re- for retailers and restaurants to start testing their food for listeria before they sell it, and and I made my my comment was, um, good epidemiology. And a matching active food surveillance program is what's really needed, not a test and hold program. Um, and so one of one of our friends commented to me, 
uh, and you know, sent me that that line and said, here, here's the thing. Um, they don't, they don't really have a, you know, th- there isn't a good epidemiological, uh, infrastructure there. And, 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 you know, and I, you know, my, my response was that's, 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 a, that's fine. You know, that's terrible. Um, but I don't know if retailers can really be the ones to, or restaurants be the ones to, to supplement that or not even supplement to, to really like replace public health and epidemiology. No, no. Um, I mean, what you should do if you really, if you want to make, if you want to make that segment pay for it, tax them and then use that money to create a CDC, right. Or use that money to create a public health infrastructure, but to add for, take all the money that you're, they're going to spend on testing, right. And instead just get the money from them and then use that to build you know, boots on the ground, public health infrastructure, testing, you know, uh, you know, pulse field, um, you know, whatever, whatever you can build, do that instead. Cause testing is not yeah. going to get you very far, but you know, if, agree. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I, and I guess, um, the, the other thing that I worry about is, so let's say there's a really strong, um, industry group. Let's, you know, just like make an assumption that there's a good trade organization that represents retailers and restaurants and they can coordinate this even, you know, I don't think they really have the expertise or the, um, or the, their own drive to centralize and then keep all that information, uh, in one spot and do analysis. And, and so the, I think the best part about my, my, um, uh, text exchange with our, with our friend on this was, um, that, you know, my, my comment was, I, you know, I don't think the retailers here in the U S really would have the expertise to run a centralized surveillance program. Um, and the message back was in South Africa, they might be the only group that has the, the, you know, the, the funding and the expertise to run one right now. Whoa. Which that's, is, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, anyway, so, so maybe, so maybe they all get together and they, they all ante up, they figure out some system for anteing up and they build their own public health infrastructure, um, that just supports them. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, it doesn't have to look like the U S model, but, but let's, yeah, let's, let's, I mean, testing is, I don't think they're going to test their way out of this problem, right? They're going, they're going to have to build public health infrastructure, um, out of the problem, which is much less, um, uh, catchy at, uh, a catchphrase. Right. Right. Um, j- just on, on that, um, before we leave the Listeria safety talk here, uh, I was, I was at an event uh, a couple of weeks ago and a public health person who works for a state came up to me and said, um, she'd been listening to the podcast and had followed some of the stuff that we were talking about and knew that you and I were interested in, in frozen foods and, and listeria, um, with our connection to, uh, to Afi. And, um, she said, so in my state, we are actively looking at frozen vegetables. We're taking samples, we're going into, um, retailers and in food service and, and just, you know, taking samples of corn and peas and and carrots. And she said, but like, what do we, what do we do? Because we're up, up against the situation where if we find it, um, there's a tolerance, uh, on, on these foods for listeria. So we don't have, we're not testing and looking for, um, 
enumeration, we're just looking for presence absence. And so we find it in, in a bag of carrots, for instance, we go back to the, uh, to the retailer who then goes back to the processor and says they found a listeria positive carrots. And the processor says, yeah, there's allowed to be some. <laughs> and then which country is this in the U S is there, right? there's, not a, there's not a tolerance in frozen for foods. Fro- frozen. Yeah, there is dot for frozen listeria for frozen, uh, foods that don't support the growth of, uh, yeah. Am I, am I being a crazy person? I don't it's, think there's a tolerance. I will find it for you. Okay. This is the whole, this is the whole issue I think is, um, it's not a, in, in a frozen item that's not ready to eat. Let's, we, let's you, mm, you talk. Okay. Well, we don't. Yeah. So, <clears throat> My understanding is we don't have a tolerance for listeria. That I think you're thinking of Canada, right? Where there is a tolerance in so and I know there there is there are rules around meat and poultry um, d- depending upon whether the food supports the growth or doesn't support the growth or has a post-process intervention. Um, but all of those go around how much testing you need to do. I don't, um, we, 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 the Canadians have a much more sensible approach to this in that they have a, um, uh, they do have a tolerance. Uh, Europe has a much more sensible approach in that Europe has a tolerance, but I, uh, I don't think there is any kind of a tolerance. We, there, there've been proposals. There was a citizen's petition a number of years ago and we were getting real close to maybe FDA taking some action on that. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, in the end, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't. It didn't pan out um, because I think we had a big, well-publicized outbreak. But uh, yeah, as far as I know, there's well, not. Uh, there's not a tolerance. I'm gonna. All right, we'll, okay, we'll, we'll do some real-time follow-up on this. Okay. Uh, but go. You you move on to our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's let's talk about. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I, I I think that there's a couple of New Jersey themed things that we could talk about. Um, we could talk about, um, uh, uh, raw milk in New Jersey. You know what? Let's do milk and cookies in New Jersey. Um, let's do raw milk in New Jersey and let's do cookies in New Jersey. And so there's a couple of, uh, couple of things that have come across our radar. Um, one, um, from our, um, I won't call him a friend of the podcast, but a previous podcast guest, uh, David Gumpert, David um, uh, is, as uh, as he's well known, a I would call him a raw milk. He's a journalist and he's a raw milk advocate, and um, uh, and so he's been covering this uh, what he calls a raw milk dragnet in New Jersey. And so I'm going to just uh, read a little bit from uh, David's uh, blog post from uh, December 9th, uh, which is entitled New, "New Jersey Caught Up in Raw Milk Dragnet with a Twist." Um, uh, and so, in uh, in his in his blog post, uh, David writes that um, it is highly unusual for food regulators in a raw milk enforcement crackdown to visit private homes and threaten consumers. The only place I know where this happened is Minnesota. Back in 2012, state regulators actually obtained a search warrant and raided one home. Um, uh, uh, scaring the bejesus out of the owners. Um, and then he goes on to say that, um, uh, 
No other state has taken the Minnesota path until now within the last two weeks. Uh, So this is late November, early December. At least one investigator from the New Jersey Department of Health has visited private homes in at least four towns that serve as drop sites for private clubs taking photos of food coolers and warning consumers they could face fines or other legal penalties, presumably for using their homes as pickup points for raw dairy and other foods for their local neighborhoods. Uh, and he goes on, I'm, I'm uh, restricted in the details I can provide because the targeted individuals are understandably terrified. Yeah, you don't want to reveal the names of these people. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, so he's, he's wondering um, what's going on, and he's getting stonewalled by the Department of Health. Now, there is a, a subsequent uh, blog post, um, which I think he reveals a little bit more information, and I'll see... I'll see if I can find that one as well. And I see that you've also sent me something on uh, on Listeria. So, so I have, I have. We'll we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back to that. I, I want to um, go just go to uh, talk a little bit about um, the New Jersey stuff and and just bring it back to uh, it. We just want to make sure that people wherever they're making. Um, wherever they're making food that they have an understanding of what the risks are. And when we have, I've mentioned this in the past, we have uh, kind of an interesting situation here in North Carolina, which I really like. And I'm not saying that just cause I live here and I'm trying to uh, placate to the regulators in my state. Um, but we allow for uh, home-based food production, but uh, require that those homes be inspected to some modified form of, of GMPs, including not having pets in the home, uh, which we, you and I have talked about as one of those things that may or may not be a risk. But um, really, like, at least someone walks out there and says, do you have the ability to make these really low risk foods safe in this in this environment? And, and that inspection causes some... Uh, heartburn uh, for those who are getting that inspection, um, and it doesn't. Uh, it, it, it may um, it may be a problem in uh, you know just getting getting ready for it. But I think it it also weeds out those who aren't uh, you know super serious about about food safety. So, oh yeah. So, so let me so let me yeah. follow up on part two of New Jersey here. So this is a this is a second article from David Gumpert's blog. Uh, this one on December seventeenth. In a major intimidation move, New Jersey issues cease and desist order to eight or more residents over raw milk. Um, so so David is puzzled by the fact that um, in the in two thousand and eleven, FDA uh, U.S. FDA issued a statement sanctioning transport of raw milk across state lines by consumers quote for his or her own personal consumption. Um, uh, and then he goes on to say, this is not quoting now, presume, this is quoting from, from Gumpert's, um, presumably the FDA doesn't see the, 20, the New Jersey residents fitting in as to its 2011 exemption statement since the agency it gets involved in pretty much every situation alleging interstate sale and or distribution of raw milk and should, and should be assumed to be involved in this one, helping guide the New Jersey Department of Health. Here's the thing, Ben. Um, if there is an exemption, and again, I'm 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 on record as saying that I want to help people sell raw milk safely, right? Um, uh, so I'm neither for nor against it, uh, but but I do know how to interpret words because words mean things. Um, and if I am bringing milk across state lines and I'm going to give it to a friend, 
by definition, I have not um, brought that milk across state lines for my own personal consumption. I have brought it for my right. friend. And that is exactly why New Jersey Department of Health is getting involved, because you cannot do that, right? You can't, it's, it's words. Words mean things. And, the, and this is clear to me. It's very clear to me why New Jersey is getting involved. Now, maybe they're not doing it right. Maybe they're not doing it in a sensitive way. Uh, he mixes in the idea here that they're targeting immigrant populations, uh, a significant number of Indian and Asian immigrants who do uh, want to consume raw milk. At some point, he talks about that the culture in India is to boil the raw milk, and so they like raw milk, but they want to boil it themselves, and so the risk is minimal, and I agree with all of that. But, you know, if you don't like that, then you should change the regulations, and the regulations say for your own personal consumption, which means for you, your own personal consumption. I can't bring a raw milk uh, to North Carolina and give it to you because that's not for my personal consumption. So I, I don't, I, again, I think he's trying to, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's calling attention to this and that's fine. He's well, he's entitled to do that. He can have a, it's the internet. Um, you can, ha- you can say what you want. Right. But I just, I, it's just, it just doesn't, it's clear to me why, um, there is a cease and desist order because these people are not following the rules. Right, right, right. And we, wanna, can, we can argue whether the rules are right or not, but, but it's clear why the enforcement's going on to me. Yeah, right. And I want to I want to highlight the uh, the quote here. Um, this resident who didn't want to be identified also expressed anger, quote, they want to cut off this great food, the gall of them. Um, the the fact that they say that they want to cut off this great food, what they really want to do is cut off the fact that someone is bringing it to you across state lines. Right. Like not for your personal consumption. Right. If That's, you if you if you want to go to Pennsylvania and get that great food for yourself, go ahead. Go get it. Go for it. Yeah. Right. That's a, they're not cutting that off because there isn't a way to do that. And I mean, you know, and I look at and, and we'll, we'll we'll link to both these blog posts. But if you look at the photo in the December 9th um, blog post, there's a sh- just a whole lot of coolers sitting there in a parking <laughs> lot. Uh, coolers from the family cow farm of Pennsylvania as a drop off point near the New Jersey border in 2014. That does not look to me like somebody getting milk for their own personal consumption. That looks like a distribution system to me. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. I'm anyway. I don't think they listen to this podcast, so um, they, they probably won't. I mean, but, you know, they'll talk to us if we get an interview um, and we don't we fail to mention that pasteurized milk can make people sick. Um, hey, um, can we talk about another half-baked uh, New Jersey idea? Yes. So my <laughs> how about this? My my previous comments were about this, uh, <laughs> what I thought you were talking about uh, as I was uh, scouring the Internet for something that. I, yeah. So, yes, we can. <laughs> So uh, only in Jersey. So this is an article from uh, the uh, ROI New Jersey editorial board. Um, uh, only in Jersey would we would we be arguing about cookies during the holiday baking season. I don't think that's true. I think that's un- oh. unfairly disparaging to New Jersey. Lots of people can argue about cookies, um, uh, but we are. And New Jersey quite literally is the only state that would be having this discussion. I, well, that's probably true because it is the only state in the nation that bans the sale of home baked goods for profit. All baked goods sold to the public in New Jersey, other than for charity, must be prepared in a licensed and inspected commercial kitchen. Home bakers who want to earn a few extra bucks must either install such a kitchen in their homes or make arrangements to do their baking in a commercial kitchen someplace else. Violators can be fined by the State Department of Health. 
The issue has been a staple in the legislature's cupboard for decades. Oh, I love that. That's nice a food food analogy there. Um, bills to bills to repeal the ban. I don't think it's so much a ban as it, it there is there are regulations. So I, it's not it's not an explicit ban. But anyway, um, but this month three home bakers from Sussex, Ocean, and Union counties. And for those of you who are not familiar with New Jersey geography, Sussex and Union are very close. Uh, actually, Union is close to New York City. Sussex is up in the uh, north uh, west corner, and Ocean is down below me on the shore, um, uh, uh, below uh, below the the midpoint of the state. So this is wide widely spread counties, not not counties clustered together. Um, represented by the Libertarian Institute for Justice, filed a lawsuit seeking to have the ban overturned on constitutional grounds. A judge recently overturned a similar law in Wisconsin, the only other state that was as much a nanny as New Jersey is. Um, So... Uh, the state's argument is still reading from the article. The state's argument has always been that baked goods prepared in a home kitchen pose a potential public health threat. Well, I mean that's probably true. I mean, so I, I mean, I, I support what these people are trying to do. Um, I understand why they're trying to do it. It is a bit silly that New Jersey is the only state that doesn't allow it. Um, and I think baked goods are not zero risk but are low risk. They are, and again, I, I mean, this happens all the time. I mean, people do, uh, do even for charity events, they do sell baked goods. People have baked goods, um, that they bring in, um, and, and give to other people. And so this is happening and people are not getting sick. Although, you know, interestingly, we could talk about pathogens in flour, but I suppose if it's a, if it's a baked flour product, the risk is relatively small. So this is, this is low risk and I can understand why these people want to have their, their cookies. Um, uh, you have any thoughts on this, Ben? Uh, I, I do. I mean, my, my favorite part here, and I've already <laughs> talked about this uh, a little bit, but my favorite part is the quote that says, there is no report of anyone anywhere ever becoming sick from an improperly baked good. Um, it's not entirely true. I guess uh, maybe the, maybe the part of improperly baked right. is, it depends what your emphasis is, but baked goods, uh, have definitely been linked to, uh, to illnesses. Oh, we'll link to this, uh, outbreak. Um, there was, uh, uh, an outbreak of hepatitis A associated with a bakery in New York in 1994, uh, which also, uh, was very similar to an outbreak that happened in 1968. Um, there were, uh, there was an outbreak in Germany, um, linked to, uh, cream filling in baked goods and Shigella about, uh, five or six years ago. So it's, I mean, uh, the the superlative messaging of never ever ever has anything like this happened before it doesn't take one very long on on the google to say well it has now it's probably not likely to happen and it's not a um it, you know it's it's not a the the riskiest food that i would uh that i would point at but yeah i mean things things go wrong right if you have a food handler that's got hepatitis a and they're touching a bunch of glazed donuts um it doesn't matter whether they're made in at crispy creamer in your home i mean it's the 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 location isn't the factor right right and uh, we'll also link to my favorite outbreak uh, which is a multi-state outbreak of salmonella uh, thompson uh, from a commercially distributed bread contaminated by an ill food handler in, in that yeah. situation uh, it was freshly baked bread coming out of an oven somebody had was a, a carrier 
carrier for salmonella, and they were touching the bread with their bare hands, and uh, you had a multi-state outbreak. And I, I like this one um, in part because uh, a friend, I don't think she's a friend of the podcast, if she is, uh, hi, Mary, but uh, uh, Mary Palumbo, who's um, um, a food safety scientist uh, who's who uh, I know. I don't know if you know Mary. She's a lovely lady. Um, uh, I worked for some time with California State Department of Health, I think, and, and was part of this uh, part of this article. So, uh, yeah, so people do get sick from baked goods. I they don't get. <clears throat> I think you're correct, or you're what you're alluding to is they don't get sick from baked goods that are improperly baked. But people for sure can get sick from baked goods. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I was you know maybe that's just a a little bit of word trickery in in there uh, for us. But yeah, so um, and it, it's it, it's one that. Um, this, the, the, the place of food production doesn't really matter. It's, can you, do you have the things to do to, do you have all the infrastructure and the knowledge and, and, uh, attitude to manage food safely? That's, you know, whether it's in someone's home or not, or at, you know, um, at a large food processing plant. Well, Things- and the, and the, and the, the make or break thing has always been, <clears throat> and I know this just because I've been advising people that want to produce food commercially in their, in their homes in New Jersey. Um, and my answer is always, yes, it's fine. Um, but you need a triple sink, right? And, and the reason why you need a triple sink is you have to be able to wash, rinse and sanitize, which is something that you can only do in a triple sink. And usually that's enough to dissuade people because the idea of going out and spending money on plumbing um, dissuades people. And so that has, that's always been my, well, you can do it and the state will let you do it, but you have to, uh, you need a triple sink, right? And, and honestly, for people that are really dedicated and, and do want to get into the food business, you can actually go out and you can rent space in a, a church kitchen or something like that. And those, and those are all inspected in New Jersey. And so um, that's usually the route that people need to go, which is probably, it may be unnecessarily burdensome, but, um, it's worked for a long time. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I'm comfortable with that, but obviously I did not realize until this story came out and I started talking with these folks in the, uh, the New Jersey food, uh, the cookie, cookie rights coalition. That's not their real name, but, um, uh, I started talking with them that I did, I didn't honestly did not realize that New Jersey was so, um, uh, so out of step with the rules in other States, which to me was, was interesting. And that may be a compelling argument to, to change things in New Jersey. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, t- uh, Don, I want to, uh, I want to switch, uh, switch gears a little bit. Okie doke. Um, so, uh, I am, uh, I sent you an email message, uh, late last week. Uh, and I am on the, um, I'm on the program committee for the consumer food safety education conference. And our, uh, the conference is is all about like themes, right? So there's been uh, a history of themes. I'm going to go through them. Uh, the first one that, that happened in 2002 theme was thinking globally, working locally. Uh, September 2006 was reaching at-risk audiences and today's other food safety challenges. 2010 was advancements in food safety education, trends, tools, and technologies. 2014, together a food safe America. 
uh, which is a little too close to make America food safety again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it has, that one is, it, it, it has some historical significance now. Uh, 2017 was advancing food safety through behavior change. And so uh, the program committee had a had a call that I couldn't join, um, but there was a, a call for themes. And I, I submitted a theme and I, I forwarded it to you saying, I don't think they're going to take my theme, but if they don't, I want to talk to you about it. And that's why we're here right now doing this. So, so my theme did not make the cut of themes to vote on, but I want, I want to talk about the, the idea of maybe putting together a symposia or something around the, this idea. My theme suggestion was it's been 25 years since food safety hit the national conscience. Where are we now? And I, I what I, what I want to talk about is where have we seen achievements in, and I, 25 years is maybe an arbitrary number. I picked that based on um, the 1993 Jack in the Box linked uh, sugar toxin producing E. coli outbreak that led to um, President Clinton talking about food safety in his inauguration address, which you know then led to a whole bunch of regulation changes at FSIS, and you know go you know fast forward through FISMA, all this stuff. Like let's let I just sort of put as 25 years as a as a marker. Yeah, and uh, let me, and let me say that's not a bad marker, right? Because I will always mark the beginning of my time at Rutgers. Um, as starting right around Alar and Apples. And we, you can very clearly th- say that in the late 80s, early 90s, it was all about pesticides and it was all about chemicals in foods. Now, we've seen we've seen that continue, right, with Food Babe and, and, and a lot of nonsense like that. But but for sure, that the public consciousness has shifted more towards the, the average person is much more aware now of foodborne pathogens and, and that sort of thing. And so I think I think 25 years is a good is a good bookend to put there for comparison purposes. Yeah, yeah. That's that that was my my thought, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is where things got started getting interesting. Um and so where where have we where have we seen this these you know what improvements are out there? And what what are the ones that are the real like impactful wins? And and where aren't we making strides? Um, so as I mentioned, it didn't make the the list of, uh, I voted on a series of other themes, which weren't as, um, as maybe as detailed as what I was looking for, but what, so how would you go about, like, let's, let's say we were going to put this together for a, a symposia for IFP next year. Um, what would you, who would you invite? How would you, how would you answer this question, these questions? Well, I would say part of it would be, uh, talking to Tony Flood at IFIC, right? Because I know IFIC has been surveying people about average people about food safety for a long time. And so I would say, uh, certainly I would reach out to Tony on this just because they have their finger on the pulse of like, what did people worry about 25 years ago versus what are they worrying about now? So that would be one place to start. Um, I think a big part of it is looking at, um, regulatory as well. And so I would say somebody who can come in, somebody like a Bob Buchanan who can come in, who was part of um, meat and poultry HACCP when he was at USDA FSIS for a brief time. He was also at FDA when there was juice HACCP. Um, uh, I don't think he was at FDA when when FISMA went down, um, but certainly, you know, some 
some or maybe maybe somebody like a Mickey Parrish who can who can talk about um, food safety from those perspectives, or maybe heck, maybe even somebody like Mike Taylor who was involved in a bunch of these things and who's now outside it all. But he was there for uh, he was at FSIS, uh, he was at FDA during those initiatives, seafood and juice HACCP, and then also at FDA in FISMA. So somebody like that who can talk about what's happened from a regulatory point of view, and also he's a lawyer, and so that that would be good. And then I would say someone else who can talk about it from a molecular standpoint. So somebody yeah. like a Martin Viedman who can talk about uh, pulse field um, and who can talk about whole genome sequencing. And so really it's, that's what, so that's how, that's, that's how I would see it. I would see somebody who can talk about consumers, somebody who can talk about regulations and laws, and then somebody who can talk about science and technology. And, and that's, that's the way that I would set that up. And that's a, that's a short symposium, Ben. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, but a short symposium has a higher chance of success. I, I think. know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so I like, I like that. <laughs> I like that list. Um, I, I would throw in, um, a couple other folks. I think, uh, well, cause here's the someone, thing. If you go for a long symposium and they cut you, then you can settle for a short, then we got a short <laughs> one. Yeah. Someone, someone like, uh, Rob Tokes mm-hmm. to talk oh, about CDC. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's where we hear the types of outbreaks we were investigating in 1993. Here are the types of outbreaks we're investigating now. What is it about either epidemiology or consumer habits or prevalence or whatever that we think are is different and and, and, and linking the the molecular um, side of things. Yeah, and if you, if you can't get Rob Toke, somebody like a Craig Hedberg who can talk about it from the state perspective, but who also knows the national perspective, uh, those would be two good choices. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd also want to hear from from some folks in in the industry um and as you know the industry in in the richard fingers but in in various sectors in the food industry on what people that have been maybe around for a while and to give their perspective on what they worried about in 1995 and what they're worrying about now and what you know, why don't they worry about the same things? Um, you know, have we, have we, maybe, you know, for lack of a better term, solve some of the issues, but then as we've solved some other ones we didn't even know about are, are coming to the forefront because of, uh, our better epidemiology or better surveillance. Um, I, maybe, maybe someone like, uh, like, uh, like Donna Guerin, who, uh, who's, who's had this experience in, um, produce who's had an experience in, uh, retail food service as well as now, uh, from a frozen food, um, standpoint, uh, to give, to give that sense of here, here are all the things I, what I want. So all of these things, all of these are great. Uh, um, I want, I also want people to talk about where we have like failed or where we're sucking, um, in, in the in the fight against foodborne illness. Well, you know, when I think of sucking, I always think of uh, your mentor, Doug Powell. <laughs> Who? Hello? Oh, did I lose you? Oh, oh, I think you lost. Oh, that's weird. Oh no! Hello? Can you hear me? Hello, I'm here. I hear you. Okay, I don't know what happened. Um, weird. I was. I was like really pontificating on, I don't know when I cut out, but it was when I said I was talking about awesome things. Well, you know, what, what, what I don't know if you heard me say was, um, when, when I think about really sucking, I think about Doug Powell. 
Um, <laughs> yes, he would be a great person to talk about how things suck and they haven't gotten any better. Um, so, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but I don't think he he wants to travel. So no, but we maybe we can put a video of him up. There you go. There, yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for thanks for indulging me because I I would like to do this. I'm going to revisit this uh, next year when it comes to comes time to do it because I. I, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I, I worry that, um, that, that statistic, uh, that we all can recite in our, uh, in our sleep of 48 million cases of foodborne illness a year that, that 10 years from now, we're going to be saying, well, there's about 48 million cases of foodborne illness a year. Well, and, you know, as we've talked about before on this podcast, and we will continue to talk about, the problem is, is that the, 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 the numbers keep changing, right? In other words, the system's getting better, and so we're finding more, um, and so you can't, you can't compare, right? And we don't right. want to be using um, 1990s technology, right? We want to be using modern technology, but unfortunately, when you change the technology, that means that you get better at finding stuff. And so, you know, it's sort of like, um, as I think we've talked about before, um, the Red Queen analogy from Alice in Wonderland, you're running as fast as you can just to stay in the same place, right? So the, the public health tools are getting better. The detection tools are getting better. Uh, zero gets smaller. And this applies to chemical risk as well. Zero gets smaller and smaller. And so you, you, you have to work twice as hard to stay in the same place, um, at least in terms of what the reportable numbers are, even though if we had omniscience and we knew the true risk in the food supply, we would see that things are getting safe. Now, I'm not so, I'm not so um, you know, rose-colored glasses that I think that things might not be getting safe, but we may be reaching the limits. Like, in other words, there may be a certain amount you can do by implementing X, right? And then at some point, you can, you can try harder, but you're not going to get much more bang for your buck by going right. to two x you're only going to get you know a fractional gain so yeah uh, but I, I think it's important that we keep revisiting it and we're not just cheerleading all the time and like not that you and i are doing that you know what i mean like as a as a per, as a community oh well and i think you and i we've talked about this before as well and i think you and i are both firmly in the not in the camp of we have the safest food supply in the world right i mean exactly. that's that's unprovable and it might be wrong and so what we ought to talk about is we ought to talk about like what we're doing wrong but it's but it's sometimes nice to talk about what you're doing right as well it's sometimes it's nice to talk about success stories but but i think we need to balance that yeah no absolutely well and just to to call back to something we talked about earlier in the episode um we might not have the safest food supply in the world, or maybe we have a less safe food supply than somewhere else, but we have a lot less HIV. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and that, you know, and, it, and it, that just, it doesn't present itself because we have a much healthier population. Um, there, you know, there's all these really complicating factors. Uh, yeah, that, that, that HIV stat, I, you know, really like, just uh, staggers me as I as I start thinking about uh, you know other public health uh, um, challenges that that South Africa has that yeah. you know worth stereo is like just one of the one of the few things. And, and you know, speaking of uh, earlier in the episode, um, I think we should spend some time now talking about uh, CPG Sec five 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 dot three two three two zero Listeria monocytogenes, um, which we is should. the <laughs> which we is should. which which and you and you are right, you are right, of course. And I actually knew about this document, and so I have uh, I have some things I have some things to share on this as well. So good. Well, and so yeah, I came I, I came. Uh, 
back to, to find this. And that's why I was not listening to you when you were talking about raw milk. Um, and it wasn't that I tuned you out. I was just deep in my like typing away. So this is, um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make a, a podcast, Ben, where two white guys talk, um, middle-aged white guys talk and look up stuff on the internet. It's hard. It's harder than it, is, it looks. It's not easy. Um, so this is I want you know I want to highlight this. This is a really a, this is a guidance document that FDA has that is draft guidance from 2008, and it explicitly says this guidance document is being distributed for comment purposes only, um, and it's uh, specific to Listeria monocytogenes. But it has a stipulation in here, and this is where I got this this tolerance idea from. And and you're uh, you know and hopefully you we, you know we have like two or three people at FDA that listen to us, and hopefully someone will will clarify if we have the interpretation of this um, incorrect. But in this draft guidance, it says, FDA may regard a ready-to-eat food that does not support the growth of Listeria monocytogenes to be adulterated within the meaning of section blah, 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 when mono- Listeria monocytogenes is present at or above 100 colony-forming units per gram of food. So I read that in the converse of saying they may not consider that to be adulterated um, if it is below, uh, 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 hundred CFUs per gram, well, essentially, you know, being a tolerance. Right. And so now I'm going to read to you from a document that is not on the internet, uh, but which is, not, which is, <laughs> which is on my computer. That's not fair. Um, well, no, it's not fair. I can send you the document, um, but we cannot link to it. Um, yes. uh, it is, it is given is the pithy engaging title of Critique of Policy Based on Puyo et al. 2015 uh, by Donald W. Schaffner. I don't know if you, know if you know him. This is a report. I think I can talk about this. Uh, but this is a report that I wrote for AFI. Um, uh, basically around this very same issue. And so I am, I am actually familiar with the document that you reminded me of. And so, um, I'm a little embarrassed that, that I did not, was not aware of this, but let me, let me read to you from what I wrote here. Um, and so in it, in it, I cite, uh, an FDA PowerPoint presentation. So I, sorry about that, but that was the only place I could go to find this information. So, uh, this is a PowerPoint presentation, uh, by Parrish, um, 2015, who you may know, um, he, I think he works at FDA. <laughs> um, uh, so the PowerPoint PowerPoint presentation by Paris cited below provides a historical perspective on FDA's approach to L. monocytogenes policy from 1985 to the present day. That PowerPoint presentation includes a statement t- towards the end which states, quote, based on various issues such as the 2015 dose response model and outbreaks of recent years, and this is a parenthetical aside, uh, I think Bluebell ice cream, FDA is concerned that there is greater uncertainty about the 100 CFU per gram standard for RTE foods that do not support growth and now questions whether the proposed standard in the 2018 graph draft CPG provides an appropriate level of protection for the most vulnerable individuals in at-risk populations. And then going reading on uh, now in my voice, my short report here provides my perspective on the use of Puyo et al. 2015 to guide FDA policy regarding Listeria monocytogenes. And basically, I tell them that I don't think they should use the document to guide policy. So, so yes, you, you are technically correct, um, but there is, uh, there is some waffling 
happening or there's some movement from FDA saying that for frozen foods, they don't want this policy to be the case. Um, and they're they're hanging their hat on this right. dose response model, which which I, it's a great paper, it's a fascinating paper. Um, but I just I just don't think that there's just too many limitations in in the paper, and I don't think it's I don't think it's valid. But again, uh, you know we we can we can have disagreements about that, and I do disagree with FDA about that. <clears throat> And I do disagree with Mike Doyle about that, and I'm going to keep disagreeing with people until I'm convinced that uh, I'm wrong. So there you go. <laughs> well, no, and it's good. And just to, to bring it back to what caused me to, to have this conversation is I think based on this, I mean, this pol- this guidance, this policy, and um, I, I guess the differing opinions, I think it's not worthwhile at all for anyone to test for presence, absence of listeria monocytogenes and leave it at that. Like, I, I just, I, I don't get the, the enumeration is, is what really can, can help us, especially with, um, the, you know, the, the dose response models, the, like, why, why are we wasting money on if it's there or not? Because if it's there at a really low detectable level, then, I mean, it's, it's doesn't have the same, doesn't carry the same public health risk as, uh, something like salmonella at a, at a really low, um, uh, prevalence or, uh, you know, or concentration, sorry, you know, like it right. just, is it, it doesn't, it's not the same. So let's just enumerate it. Right. And let's, let's imagine a world in which Bluebell ice cream was testing its ice cream for listeria and finding it at shockingly high prevalence. Yes at low concentration, I would hope that if they had done that, that would have motivated the heck out of them to fix the problems in their plants, and we might not have ever had the outbreak at the hospitals, right? Because they would have, if they're, and, but the problem is right now, if there really is a zero tolerance in food that don't support the growth, then what the industry is going to do is they are going to not test, right? right. They, are, they are going to, to look at, um, <clears throat> they're going to do zone testing in their plants. They're not going to test for El Mono uh, on finished product or uh, food contact surfaces. Uh, They're just simply not going to do that. They're going to manage the risk by doing all of those other things, which are fine and good. But since this is an organism that does not cause illness, if it's present at low levels, in, in my opinion, and according to the dose response models, et cetera, et cetera, all the caveats apply, it creates a dis by having that standard, it creates a disincentive for companies to test. What we want companies to do is to test and then fix the problem. And you can do a lot with zone two, three, four testing, and you can do, you know, zone one testing for indicators. You can do a lot with that, but you can do so much more if you can do finished product testing without a penalty, right? And sure, if you if you do finished product testing and you find a million listeria in your ice cream, yeah, you can't sell that ice cream, right? But if you yeah. do finished product testing, and you find a few cells, uh, you know, in, in a hundred grams, well, fix the problem, right? Remediate the problem, change your, 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 your processing plant and, and do some, you know, in-depth survey work, find out where the problem is and then fix it because sooner or later you're going to cause a problem when things get more out of control. So, Anyway, I, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I feel very strongly about that. And I'm sorry that we don't have, uh, I'm sorry that we still have a zero tolerance because I don't think it's smart policy. Right, right, right. Well, and that zero tolerance makes it so when someone takes a sample regulatory wise, they don't care how much is there. Right. And that doesn't help us 
solve the bigger issues. Right. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't care that the apples have listeria. And I really, right. I really don't care that you did a recall because I don't really feel that much safer. Right. I would much rather know where did that listeria come from? How did it get on those apples? What level was on those apples? How are you going to prevent that problem from happening in the future? But right now the solution is up, oh, found it, recall. Okay. Back to normal. Keep doing what we're doing. Yep, right, exactly. which, which we don't yeah. learn anything, except right. except recalls are are you know expensive and probably alarm the public and and do very little to protect public health. See, that's that's what that's what kills that's me it. is that we're spending money, like if we we have a limited budget, right? We should spend that money on things that matter and not on doing stuff that doesn't move the risk needle. Yeah, Don, I'm signing you up for my symposium. <laughs> this is it. This is what I'm talking about. That's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, I, I, I yeah, and um, it, it, the, not to mention uh, the so it costs a lot of money. It's not um, we we can't have a, a demonstrable public health impact, and it's leading to a bunch of food waste, right? Like yeah, like right. I'm 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 co- I'm co- more cognizant of of food waste, uh, now than, than I have been in, you know, over my, over my career, I think, um, I'm getting a better handle on when do we in abundance, you know, in an abundance of caution versus public health versus what do we do with all this food that we're then disposing of? Uh, because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hungry people out there and, and our issues around hunger and waste are not related to, um, you know, uh, production issues and stuff like this where we, we've, we've got the food, we just can't get it to people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a whole bunch of trade-offs and we're not going to solve it here today because, uh, well, just be, you know why Don, and this is going to be the perfect segue. We're not going to solve it all today because I want to talk about sex toys, edible underwear and personal lubricants, applying food safety principles to sex paraphernalia design. Uh, You know, you know, Ben, our colleague said that he was asked to give this talk, but I think he's just a (laughs) pervert. (laughs) Oh, okay. We, so if you are going to be at the 255th ACS national meeting, I don't even know what ACS stands for, American but Chemical it's, Society. I've never been, I might go just to hear this talk. It has been, it's, this is, it's been around for 255 years. This is the first time, uh, to my knowledge, uh, that, uh, we've had a sex toy, a personal lubricant, uh, food microbiology talk, uh, and so, uh, friend of the podcast, uh, no, not, I don't think a listener, but, uh, a frequent contributor to, to our text, uh, uh, laughs, uh, Randy Warbo will be uh, presenting this. And, uh, this is, uh, it's an oral uh, conversation. Uh, it's an oral presentation. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so, so good. So anyway, uh, yeah, Randy, uh, Randy texted us and said, uh, look at the paper that I've had accepted at this conference and, uh, high five to Randy. Cause this is pretty awesome. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I, you, you have to, uh, you have to type, uh, you know, I am, not, I'm having trouble, Ben. I'm having trouble. This is not, might not surprise you. I'm having trouble finding a link, uh, to this, uh, because even typing, uh, sex toys, edible underwear, <laughs> ACS.org, Warabo, um, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of links here, Ben, but I don't, don't think any of them are the right ones. Are you on, are you on campus or are you at home? If you're at home, I'm, I'm at home. I'm okay. I'm yeah. good. I can't even Google it. I'm at, I'm on campus. Uh, <laughs> you could Google it. 
I could. And then it, then I'm in a like Pete Townsend kind of thing where it's, it's research research. I don't, right. Right. I don't, I don't want to be in, I'm, I'm not getting involved. Um, I had a couple other things come up this week that I wanted to, to chat with you about. Um, oh, we're, we're done with, uh, sex toys, edible underwear and personal I, lubricants, applying food safety I, principles to sex paraphernalia design. I mean, I am. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, especially since we can't, again, I'm having difficulty finding it. No, so now I'm, now I'm searching for acs.org Warabo 2018. Um, and I'm still not finding anything uh, useful. Uh, I did, I did find, I did find that he apparently attended in, uh, 2017, um, uh, but not to present on sex toys. So Yeah. Uh, All right, so mark your calendars, folks. Uh, New Orleans, March uh, 18 to 22nd, uh, 18 to 22, uh, 2018. So, yeah. Do it. Um, okay, so I've, I got a question for you. Okay. Do you know, what do you know about uh, silver sprinkles or draggies? Drag, draggies? Do you know about these? I know about sprinkles. Um, they're sometimes called jimmies. We always call them sprinkles. Um, I think sometimes those silver ones are toxic, but I have not looked at I did see the link. I did not look at the link. Yeah. Okay. So this came up. Um, I, I mentioned uh, uh, before that uh, recently over the last year, we've, we've hired uh, three area specialized agents um, who uh, work out of my department but support uh, food safety across our state for our excellent um, family consumer science agents. And as part of one of the things that, um, that we're building is, this is an information center. Um, and I, it's, it's not a toll free hotline. It's a, it's a center where we'll be doing, uh, you know, answering text messages and doing about a bunch of social media, kind of like people who out, out in the community who have questions about food safety. Um, you know, there are lots of ways to get those questions answered. Sometimes it's, uh, calling, a, an extension agent or showing up at the office. Uh, other times, you know, when, you know, it's after hours, we want to have a way to connect with people. And so, um, so our, our area specialized agents have been piloting, uh, this information center with some agents. And one of the, the things that we're, um, we're trying to do is, uh, you know, every day when we pull some, you know, interesting stuff, food safety wise for news that, that they're populating these Facebook pages and having conversations. And one of the things that they came across was this situation with silver sprinkles that, uh, sometimes are called Jimmy's, uh, in New Jersey, but are, um, are known as draggies and they are, um, they, these are the silver balls that you would see on cookies this time of year. And they're, they're not edible. <laughs> Um, drag, 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 but so you buy them in. So, and let's get back. To, uh, we'll come back to why they're not edible in a second, but they're, they're sold in grocery stores. They're sold in the same aisle as, uh, you know, edible sprinkles, the sugar, sugar ones. If you were to go to, um, any, uh, baking area, you can find these. Um, and they really are, um, dipped in some solution of silver, uh, with, with confectionery. But here's the thing, Don. Do you know, like, the U.S. is the only country in the world where these things aren't allowed to be sold as food? I I didn't know that. So, it's so back in nineteen, yeah. So so so, this is so confusing, Ben. So, they are allowed to be sold in supermarkets. They are allowed to be sold in the baking aisle next to edible things. In, but they are classified as not food. But in other Perfect. countries, they are classified as food. Absolutely. And I guess the real question is, how safe are they? I, that part I don't know. Okay. 
Um, and I, I, so this is a, a call out there for our listeners. I couldn't find a whole lot of stuff on this and I don't know if I'm just not looking in the right spots, but it, it they are still, so I, you know, I'm, we're not, you and I are not toxicologists. This is really a toxicology question. The amount of silver that's in these and that are consumed, I've definitely eaten these. I've eaten these like within the last week. Well, Whoa. not I've eaten them within the last month. Okay. Since this came across my desk, I've like, oh, I wonder. I, let me do a little more digging on this. But yeah, they're sold at you know they they look like food, and it goes back to some 1908 uh, um, FDA silver in consumptionables. Uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't FDA at that point, but that's where, you know, it's in yep. where it resides now. Uh, and it, you know, the, there's a, you can buy these on Amazon and I'm going to read the product description. I think I've included this in the, uh, um, yeah, it's, I think it's in the, uh, Dropbox folder, but, uh, draggies are classified as non-edible and for decoration only by the FDA in the United States because they contain minute qualities of heavy metals. However, they are non-toxic and safe for use in on food and are considered edible in many countries outside the U S where they consumed on a variety of confections. Draggies are made out of sugar, silver, gum, uh, Arabic, Ar- Arabic. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Arabic, yeah. It's in Arabic. Um, and you'll get about 385 to 390 in a two ounce bag. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted this, I wanted to, uh, a ride or, um, uh, bring this up. I don't know much about it. Uh, I, I will do some homework and see if I can find more about it, but I, I had never until this, this article was posted by one of our, um, area specialized agents, Candace, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know that they weren't edible. And it totally like in the, F, in the eyes of the FDA here in the U S Right. And, and in that, in that um, uh, Houston Chronicle article, there's a link to um, uh, uh, CPG SEC uh, 545-.200. Okay. So we are now quoting from two uh, CPG uh, documents. Uh, and this uh, says, um, silver-colored almonds have been offered for cake decoration. In this regard, the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition has stated, although the articles, silver-colored almonds, may be intended for cake decoration, we do not agree that they are draggies. Further, we see no compelling information that the articles are to be used for decorative purposes only and thus would not be eaten. There is no authority under the color additive regulations which permits silver to be used as a color. Neither is there a food additive regulation or exemption authorizing silver as a food coating. In other words, so if you tr- if you sell silver draggies, apparently you can do that, but do not put silver on almonds because then FDA is going to come after you because yeah. apparently that you are trying to pass that off as food. So, wow. Yeah. Pretty fascinating, right? Yeah. Food, yeah. yeah. It, and, 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 and a festive holiday, uh, discussion <laughs> and a festive holiday to you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else, what else we got? What else? Uh, what, we got Warbos of Per. Sex, sex toys and silver balls. I don't know what else you need. <laughs> I, had to, I had to reach. <sighs> oh. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a holiday show. All right. Oh, hang on. Oh, no, no. No, what? Never mind. I was going to say, Don, our sex, our sex, our chef's trying to kill us. No, uh, our chef's trying to kill us. I don't think so. Not on I purpose. Don't so. I don't. But that's what the Boston Globe asks. <laughs> uh, have, we'll, have, we'll, ben, we'll, have you we'll, been falling for this stubborn cooking myth? 
I have not been falling for that. Uh, I have apparently. Uh, well, let's let's we'll come back to that one after the holidays. Okay, sounds good. All right, Don. Uh, this has been uh, this has been awesome. Uh, this was uh, food safety talk number one forty two. Is that I think correct? So I think so. Oh my gosh, we are we are almost at our. Uh, Almost to 150, almost to this. What's at the sesquicentennial <laughs> of our, I can't wait. Uh, so, uh, check us out on, on the iTunes, uh, leave us comments, uh, email, tweet at us, whatever, whatever, uh, tickles your fancy as it relates to, uh, getting us food safety information. And, and Don, I, I just want to take this, uh, this opportunity to, uh, wish you uh, happy holidays and, uh, all we're the best. We're saying Merry Christmas now, Ben. We're saying Merry Christmas. We're making Christmas great again, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll see you. Yeah, best best of the best of the season yes <laughs> Fest, oh. festival festivities festivities Festi- yeah the feats of strength oh uh, this should have been this should, this should have been a holiday show it's too oh, early to drink it's true it's true there's uh, and and our eggnog's full of salmonella uh, uh, as long as so. there's no silver balls no silver balls that's it's one of my favorite christmas songs <laughs> <laughs> all right i think that's it all right bye-bye bye-bye Good stuff. Yeah, sorry, I zoned out and totally talked about the wrong thing there. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. I don't. I, don't I, I didn't really even notice. So, and I did say there were two New Jersey things we had to talk about. So it's fine. And uh, yeah, and I thought it, I, it really is hard to talk and, and and search the internet at the same time. It is. It is. Um, have you seen the uh, Have you seen the Last Jedi yet? Are you no you, no spoilers? Weekend? No spoilers. I won't. I won't I, yeah. So I my know. my son uh, my son is down from Connecticut. Uh, he's with his mother right now. Um, we we do want to go see it. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to get to see it together, but I have. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet. We're, we're going to go see it. I, there's a. Uh, I've mostly avoided spoilers, um, uh, but I yeah I really want to go see it. You. Yeah, we saw it uh, last weekend on Saturday, and it was awesome. Um, and I'm, my my dad is here, or my bo- both my parents are here for Christmas, and we were going to go see it again uh, on Saturday because uh, my boys are obsessed with it, and it was it was excellent. I it it is um, it is nonstop. Like there, it's mm-hmm. two hours and ten minutes, and it is no there are no down points in in the plot. Like there's it's exciting the whole way through. It's good. Well, that's good. That sounds like fun.
Um, uh, real time uh, follow up. Uh, we were replacing not not even follow up, just breaking news in my house. Uh, we're replacing a toilet today. Oh, uh, yeah, for uh, five hundred dollars. <laughs> well, I have been desperate. Speaking of uh, food plumbing talk uh, or plumbing safety talk, <laughs> we I have been trying to get a plumber to come and fix a leaky faucet in my kitchen, and I think I'm just going to have to try to fix it today because uh, I've called them a couple times and they have not called me back. So I, it's not that hard, but I just I just I want to pay a guy to come and fix it. You know, I just don't want to do it myself. Um, oh, not that I absolutely. can't, but Jesus, you know, I. <clears throat> You know, I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> it's annoying. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm with you. I, we had, uh, uh, just before the podcast, Danny called me cause we know, I think I've told you, but our, in our house we have, we have an apartment that's above the garage. Right, we have right, a tenant right. yep. who, who lives there yep. and she texted Danny this morning and said her toilet's not working and thought that this was the, what, what was relayed to me. It was something with the chain. It was one of the in, inside parts and, and our tenant who is awesome and is really all about conserving money and doesn't want to cost any anything she's like i think we can probably fix this with with some zip ties <laughs> and, and i was like i don't think we should fix anything with zip ties that is not a good idea so i uh um i told danny i was like look i'm gonna I, i'm gonna pick jack up at 150 and i'm like if you want me to look at it when i come home i'm not i'm good at plunging uh right, a toilet right that's that's about the limit of my um, my situation. Uh, so I, yeah, I was like, we should just call a plumber and get somebody to come. So someone came by this morning and they said, yep, it was $310 to replace all the inside pieces or $500 for a new toilet. Um, and, the, we, we have weird, like our house is a little bit old and all of the toilets in our home, except for one are, is really small. Um, and so this is like a really small toilet and it doesn't fit. Like if we were to get a normal size, like standard toilet, it's going to be, it would be cheaper, but we, we it, do, it won't fit in the, in the bathroom. Yep. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, we, we recently, so we've had the, so we put a, we put a bathroom in and a toilet, we uh, put, to, we put a, a half bath in downstairs. Uh, so the house only had one bathroom before that, put a half bath in downstairs, but never really liked the toilet that was there. And then the toilet upstairs toilet was always just horrible. And so we just finally sprung for two new toilets and got ones that like, you know, it's like, I mean, not to be too graphic, but when I flush the toilet, I want everything to go down, right? I don't want to have <laughs> yes! multiple flushes. No. And there was a problem with the way the upstairs one was configured. It was like, had to do with how it was. And it, again, it's a small space. Like I sort of, when I sit on that, it, my, my knees bump against the tub. And so, but, but the plumber explained like he could actually move it back a little bit and anyway. And so it's just like, yes, just make, make all the toilets better and, and all that fine. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm not as much as we like to talk about like vomit and puke. I am, I'm good. Just let's get rid of it. Right. Yeah, I don't right, need it right. around. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is, this is one where I, I, I'm I'm decent at like I could replace a faucet and I could I'm really good at um, electric stuff like I I can rewire some some lights but when it comes to plumbing and um, and you know dishwashers they're out of my room yeah I'm just call somebody and that's yeah. what people like that's that I want someone to call me when they are trying to fix their food safety stuff exactly <laughs> so, exactly so I should call somebody who knows that what they are exactly what they do. let's all just stick with what we're good at. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we're, yeah, the, uh, more, more texts from Danny. Um, 
uh, the plumber said when he was looking at it, he asked if we were DIYers. I guess <laughs> yeah. there had been a few weird repairs done to it. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it's best to just replace it. So, yep, yep replace new one. Yeah, I get, um, a, I, get a, I get a DIY vibe from the previous residents of your house. I've never, never having met yes. them or been to your house. I get a, I get that vibe. Uh, yeah. That's correct. It is correct. Oh, cool. Well, hey. Um, so this, we did this like perfectly because we're going to have our week off when we're, when I'm actually taking a week off. Nice. Yeah. So if you wanted to, um, if you wanted to record again on the 4th of January, I'm available. That works. If you are. Yep. That works. In, and you're that Thursday is a day that you're usually at home, right? So you have some flexibility. Yeah, and that's I don't think I'm I'm going to try not to go to work at all that week. I might go in on Friday, but yeah, Thursday. I'm, I mean, I not no one who schedules something the first week in January. Nobody, right? So I'm nobody. Wide, I'm wide open. Good. Oh, did I lose you again? No, I'm here. Hello, hello. Okay. Can you hear hello. Me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. My, it, I wonder if it's my Skype. If my internet people have gone home. Um, how about like one o'clock? That'd be fine. Um, and I have a, yeah, that'll, that'll be perfect. My, I have a hard out at like three twenty, so that's, we're good. Okay. Yeah. We could do it earlier if you want. Cause that one's going to be a, yours yeah. to do. So, but you got something in the morning. I got a call. Yeah. I got, um, I got stuff. Okay. Got stuff that's going. fine. Yeah. One o'clock. Uh, one o'clock and that, but that's good. Cause I have a, a nice two and a half hours really. Um, and I think I sent you all my links. Um, yeah, I got them all. Um, I put in the, yeah, the bakery ones, uh, the Wikipedia one about HIV, the CPG sec five, five, five dot three, two, zero. Um, yep, 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 yep. The cool, Apple cool, picture. Cool. And, uh, <laughs> excellent. Um, and the next time I uh, talk to you, uh, I will have a, uh, iPhone 10 and Danny will have an iPhone eight. Nice. She didn't want a 10. Um, I don't know why, but uh, she's, yeah. So, so anyway, they're on our way. I'm, I just gotten some more notifications. Phones, phones are coming. Uh, and then our old phones will get passed down to our boys and everyone is happy. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll have a good, uh, good week or, or yeah. so. Yeah, you too. Downtime. I am, uh, uh, I don't think I told you we're going, we decided that we're going to Florida for a couple of days. Whoa. We're going to go to. Yeah. So the boys don't know. Uh, we're going to tell them on Christmas, but we're going to, my parents are here until the 27th. We're going to drop them off at the airport and then drive directly to, uh, the St. Augustine area. Um, and then we're going to, we're, we're, we have a hotel sort of in between Daytona beach and St. Augustine. And then we're going to go to Cape Canaveral and universal studios and maybe oh, the that, beach for the day. That should be yeah. fun. That should be fun. Yeah. yeah so cool. we're, we're doing our usual, uh, Christmas Eve celebration with, uh, Kristen's family in Staten Island, um, which is always fun. And then, uh, her parents on Christmas and then driving up to Ithaca for a couple of days and then heading back. And, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing too special going on. At some point my, I'll visit with my son who's, like I said, is now, uh, uh, with his mother. I think we're, we're going to have dinner tonight and then hopefully at some point see uh last Jedi. So, yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and you're not, you guys don't have, you're not going to uh, San Diego this year. That was, you, you guys don't usually take like a, a trip to we, San Diego we, at some point. We did, we did that once, uh, because I needed the miles to make yeah. the next level. Um, but I'm not that organized and, uh, yeah, and I, I don't, it's, it's, I don't, I don't really like to travel. So I'm just, <laughs> we're just gonna, <clears throat> we're going to drive and see family and 
That'll cool. be good enough. And other than that, just just hang out around here with the dogs. Oh my god, the dogs! Last last night, I have to share this. I I was late, semi late to the podcast because my alarm went off at seven, and I hit snooze multiple times because we had been woken up in the middle of the night by Gibbs. And so the thing, and I think I've talked about this before. So Gibbs, so Bianca sleeps on the bed with us, but Gibbs is really just too big to have on the bed, and so he's been banished to the downstairs. But last night at like two in the morning, he was like whimpering and crying and pawing on the door, oh. and it turns out um he had to poop in the middle of the night and so i thought about you with your puking kids and i thought well at least i only have a dog and he only had to poop um yeah and and he's very good he doesn't want to he's really super good about not peeing and pooping in the house but he didn't like it's like you just need to like just like just 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 be able to like let's let's figure out a sign right like when you have to poop like you pat you tap your paw like three times or something right so that i know that okay it's not just you're being a pain in the ass it's that you really have to go out so Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. My that my dog out? is also a pain in the ass and uh, now stretches out and takes most of the bed up. Um, and uh, it's same thing when you know, he he does not go to the bathroom after like you know seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. Usually, like we don't even let him out before we go to bed. He's I, he must have this like super bladder. Yeah. But every once in a while, he'll get up in the middle of the night, and I know like if he's up, something serious is going down. Right, like, he's got to get outside right then. So, uh, good stuff. All right. Well, All right. <laughs> well, well, uh, the dog poop. Uh, dog poop talk. Uh, dog poop talks over. Yes. Uh, and and for those, I, I I think that I mean this is just a message to the listeners who actually listen to the After Dark or have just stumbled upon ah, it. Mm-hmm. We do know that we're putting this at the end of the podcast. Every once in a while, we get an email saying, "Did you guys know? Like, I think your microphones were still on after the music ran." Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, after this is the Easter eggs for all the people that are still listening. Yep. And we almost always do an after dark and we almost always talk about something. And yes, there are personal details that are revealed. There are scheduling details that are revealed and it's okay. Like anything, anything that we really don't want you to hear. Don't worry. We're like smart enough to turn, turn everything off, but, but thank you for listening. Uh, and we do actually now, thanks to Apple uh, analytics. Um, we do know that there are a lot of you that don't listen to the after dark and and we're fine with that. And for those that do that, that's fine too. So, yeah. So if you if you are still listening at this point, just know that you're in the you're in the know. You're, you're at least of, when you're, it comes to the two of us. Yeah, you're part of the cool kid club. Yeah, totally. All right, Don, for real. Bye-bye. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> okay. Bye.